And so through our practices, our series on practices, we've been working through the acrostic of worship. And so we talked about worship itself. We talked about openness to God. We talked about relinquishing our false self and idols. Um, the Two weeks ago when we last met, we talked about sharing my life with others. And so we have arrived at the H. And by the way, um, our sort of uh, takeaway from this whole thing, we've got magnets there on the back. If you haven't gotten a magnet, it lists all of these things. So you can put them right on your refrigerator and you can see them every day And um, because you go to your refrigerator every day. So that's what we want you to do is uh, see them and think about them all the time. And so today we're going to hear God's word. Um, We really believe that reading the Bible is going to be one of those things that creates an intentional space to know and love Jesus deeper. And we can come to the scriptures with an open heart and an open mind to know that is where we are with God. And we can see our relationship with him in the scriptures. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, Because I am a Christian every day in which I do not Penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's word and holy scriptures is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with certainty on the firm ground of the word of God. And as a Christian, I learned to know the holy scriptures in no other way than by hearing the word preached and by prayerful meditation. To follow God is to follow scripture. We cannot be a man or woman of God if we are not a man or woman of the scripture. That's it, period, done. So if we're not looking for God, if we're not hearing from God through his scripture every day, then we're not hearing from God. I want you to notice something though. It's not read God's word, okay? That would not only screw up our acrostic, but reading is not what the point of this whole thing is. The primary route of communication in the first century was oral. The the primary uh, method of communication um, in ancient Hebrew and Israelite times was oral. These were stories that were told and passed down. They were not written down until much later. And so these scriptures that we're reading, and remember that when Paul is talking to Timothy about all scripture is God-breathed, He's talking about the Old Testament specifically. There was no New Testament as we know it now. So what Paul is pointing Timothy to is saying, hey, all of these scriptures that you've grown up with, what we call the Old Testament, all of that is God-breathed. All of that is inspired by God to do something for us. And we're going to talk about what those things are in a minute. But all of those scriptures and, and the things that Jesus was sharing with his followers and his disciples along the paths, And the things that Paul was teaching to the churches as they were growing, the Old Testament is all they had. These were the scriptures that were growing the church. And all of these were used in an oral sense. Now, that was then, this is now. We think, okay, well, we've got the written word. Gutenberg invented the press. We've got the Bible in the hands of people. We can just pass out Bibles and everyone's going to be good with this. Listen to this statistic, though. 775 million people worldwide are illiterate. 15% of the globe cannot read a single word. I think, okay, well, that's just affecting poor countries or or countries that that don't have access to the written word. 30 million American adults are illiterate. 
And only 30 million can read up to a fifth grade level, and only 33 million more can read up to an eighth grade level. That means one in four Americans, one in four are functionally illiterate. There's five of us in this room, so it's probably me. And listen to this, though. Adults 65 and older are the generation that are most likely to struggle with illiteracy. And here's another interesting thing, is that when we start to break it down by what translation of the Bible should I use, then we get into a lot of murky stuff, because the King James Version of the Bible is actually rated at a 12th grade reading level. So if we hand this to someone who cannot understand what we're doing and the words are just going to fall short because they can't do it. The ESV, which um, we used to give out to the youth group, we'd say, here, welcome to middle school. Here's a version of the Bible that we love a lot. That's rated at a 10th grade reading level. So again, we're handing something to people that don't know how to use it. Um, The NIV, which is my personal favorite, is rated to a 7th grade reading level. And the... um, New Living Translation, which is uh, used a lot as sort of a paraphrase Bible, is rated to a fourth grade level. So a lot of the times when we need to explain something to someone, we need to make sure that we're putting it into words that they can understand. So when we read the Bible here out loud, I don't choose King James. There's a lot of reasons for that. But the number one reason is because it's very hard to understand. So if I'm going to read the Bible to a room full of people who have different educational backgrounds, I'm not going to pick a Bible that's in the 12th grade reading level. I'm going to pick something that's going to be a little bit more open to everyone's interpretation and everyone's ability to understand. Because what we need to know is that the Bible is the primary way we hear from God. So if this is a tool that we're looking at and we don't understand the words on the page, we don't understand what God is saying. We don't understand that God is here speaking to us and through us and through the words that we're reading, but we cannot hear him because we are ignoring it. And when we ignore the Bible, it's like ignoring a friend who's speaking to us. It's like ignoring a text that we've received and we uh, don't want to respond to it. Um, the Bible is used for a lot of different things and it's used in wrong ways and it's used in right ways. And so when we approach the Bible, we need to approach it in the correct way. Um, lately I noticed that we've tend to turn the Bible into kind of a weapon. We ask it to do something that it wasn't meant to do. Uh, reading the Bible as a piece of literature is kind of like reading Moby Dick as a whaling instruction manual. We can't use it that way. It's not what it was designed to do. Asking the Bible to make comments on history and on science and on law is asking the Bible to do something that it wasn't meant to do. The Bible is a revelation of God. It's an interaction of ancient people with their God through history. That's what it is. It's not asking us to make determinations on science and law and philosophy and the way that we live our lives now. Because just like ancient people, Israelites and just like the Greeks of their time, they're trying to interact in the world and know God through his interactions with us. And so rather than uniting us, we use the Bible to put us into all sorts of camps 
and categories. What do you believe about this certain thing? What is the Bible? What's your interpretation of this passage? And then all of a sudden, we've got 15 different churches in the same city because we all believe that this word doesn't mean what that word means and you interpret it wrong. And that's where we get off on the wrong foot. And I think that's because we use the Bible to seek answers, to prop us up, to uh, we keep the stuff that we agree with and we throw out all the stuff that we don't agree with. But we shouldn't be using the Bible to seek answers. Actually, what the Bible is best at is seeking questions. There are so many questions in the Bible and there are not very many answers. Did you ever notice that? Even when Jesus is asked a question directly, Are you the son of man? Are you who they say you are? Well, what do you say? Jesus doesn't answer questions. It's so frustrating. How can I I inherit eternal life? Well, let me tell you this story about it. Who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you this story about it. Am I my brother's keeper? Who is my neighbor? Who can be against us? These are the questions of the Bible and they have no answers. So when we go seeking answers into the Bible, we seek the wrong thing. We should be looking at the questions that the Bible is asking of our God, seeking our God and asking these questions to open something up into us. Yeah, am I my brother's keeper? Do I want to be responsible for my fellow man? Who is my neighbor? I should be asking that question. Who am I reaching out to? We often also see this, the Bible, we see this, uh, it kind of helps us out sometimes to think about, Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. We've heard that a couple times. Um, that's what B-I-B-L-E stands for. But it is, it is not an instruction booklet. It is not a list of rules. It is not a list of something where we look down and say, okay, I've done all these things. Jesus said, okay, you've done all these things. You still have not inherited eternal life. The Bible is not an instruction book. It is the place that we go to know and love God more deeply. It is the place where we can go to seek who God is because he revealed himself to people and they wrote that down. They were inspired by their interactions with God and they wrote that down and they said, this is God. The other thing with the Bible is that we really have trouble engaging with it. Whenever we... Whenever we read the Bible, we need to ask two questions of it, and they both are wise. The first one is, why do I want to read the Bible? So if we come at this from the wrong point of view, if we come in the, the Bible, reading the Bible from a perspective where we are like, I need to do this because I have to do it. I need to do this because I need to fulfill my daily allowance of reading the Bible. I need to do this because someone else is expecting me to do this. I need to do this because, 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 because. We will not be motivated to read the Bible if our reality doesn't match our desires. We will find it hard to sustain a discipline of reading the Bible or hearing the Bible or hearing from God if we feel like it's a chore or it's something that we have to do. When we take an honest look at why we desire to read the Bible, it will help us to stay more motivated to do so. What's our desire to read the Bible? Here it is. To know and love God deeper. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to know God at a deeper level? 
Rather than see this as some sort of chore, like doing the dishes or doing the laundry, it's just something that I have to do. I want to go and meet with God. I want to see him. I want him to be revealed to me in new and exciting and in ways that I had never thought of before. That should be our desire. Our desire is not to read or, or, or know the Bible in such a way. Our desire is to know God. The Bible helps us to do that. So why do I want to read the Bible? Examine that first. Come to that desire. Know the desires of your heart. The other thing is, why do I find it hard to read the Bible? Um, perhaps there's maybe a lack of desire in your heart to read the Bible. Maybe you're like, ah, just not for me. Just not really that good of a book. Uh, maybe there's not lack of desire, but maybe even complete absence of desire to read the Bible. But the very fact that we're bothered by how, how little we read the Bible is a good sign that it's something we actually care about. That little twinge, that little feeling of guilt that we get. Ah, you know, I didn't read the Bible today. I should probably read the Bible more. I just, I just don't feel motivated to do that. That's a good sign. That's a good sign that shows that there's something working in us to motivate us to that. And now we just have to change our desire. Our desire is not to get rid of that guilty feeling. Our desire is to know and love God deeper. And so when we can come to the scriptures and see that, then we actually will care about what we read. We will actually want to do it for the right reasons. Um, why do I find it hard to read the Bible? It's a difficult book. We can, we can call it what it is. It's a difficult book. There's really good reasons for not reading it. It's formatted to look like a phone book. I mean, it's thick. The, there are small words in it. There are some passages that go on and on and on. I have no idea. Have you ever read some of the sentences that Paul put together? It's a train wreck, this guy. He's not that eloquent of a writer. Um, there are inexplicable pronunciations, words I don't know where they are, how to pronounce them, what good are they. It not only looks dull, it often is boring. The prophets are wildly repetitive. Uh, there are six chapters in Exodus that just describe what the tabernacle looks like and how big its curtain should be. And then there's a recipe, yeah, there's a recipe in the Bible for anointing oil. So someone just stapled a recipe to the pages of Exodus and they're like, well, let's put that in there. And don't even get me started on Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's some stuff in there that should not be told to children. It's also incredibly barbaric. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then destroys him and the nation for their hard-heartedness. It's almost like an evil trick that he plays on him. He doesn't, but there are reasons for it. And then whenever Israel comes into contact with other nations, its command is to wipe them out completely. Men, women, and children, completely. There are no covenants made with them. There are no promises. They don't take prisoners. The Bible is an incredibly difficult book. Frederick Buechner says, in short, one way to describe the Bible written by many different people over a period of 3,000 years would be to say that it is a disorderly collection of 60-odd books, which are often tedious, barbaric, obscure, and teem with contradictions and inconsistencies. It is a swarming compost of a book, an Irish stew of poetry and pop propaganda, law and legalism, myth and murk and history and hysteria. And over the centuries, it had become hopelessly associated with tub-thumping evangelism and dreary piety, 
with super annunuated superstition and blue-nosed moralizing and ecclesiastical authoritarianism and crippling literalism. It's a bit far. It's a bit much. The point is, it's a difficult book. And yet, it is a book where we find God. It is a real live book, alive today. It is a book about real people and real places interacting with a real God. There is hope and love and joy and peace and unmistakable tragedy through it all. But it is a real book from a real God. And it's the way that we interact with him today. Abraham and Sarah with tears of incredulous laughter running down their cheeks when God tells them it is going to keep his promise and give them the son they've always wanted. King David, all but naked as the day he was born, dancing for joy in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Paul struck dumb on the road to Damascus. Jesus of Nazareth stretched out between two crooks with dried Roman spit on his face. They are all looking up and listening to their God. And we get to interact with that. We get to be inspired by that same God. We get to understand who God is through their eyes. What are they all looking at? What are they all seeing? What is it that we can be a part of that we're being invited into? The Bible is meter and echo. The Bible is our measuring stick. This is what the Greek word meter means. It means to measure something. So the Bible is our measuring stick. What we use to measure must be accurate. Now, it is a very great, not coincidence, but a very great thing that Jesus is also called the word of God. That there is the written written word of God and that there is the living word of God. And there are some churches that will put too much emphasis on the Bible and not enough emphasis on Jesus. And there are some churches that will put too much emphasis on Jesus and not enough on the Bible. We need a balance of both. We need a balance that shows us that we believe that the word of God is both written and living, that we can interact with the Bible through Jesus and we can know God better through both Jesus and the Bible. And so the echo part is once we have measured up, once we read the meter, then we can echo back. We are a reflection of that measurement. Paul tells the younger pastor, Timothy, two things are true about the scripture. They are God breathes. And this is the only time in the Bible that this word shows up in Greek. It literally means inspired by God. All scripture. We're talking about the entirety of the scripture being uh, inspired by God. And Paul also says they're useful, which in Greek, that word would mean beneficial or it has a purpose. They are purposeful. Um, They are good for your life. They are good for you. And so Paul lists that there are four ways in which they are beneficial. The first one is they are uh, useful because they teach you. They give you instruction. And so we can be a reflection of the scriptures because we have an instruction from God on how to live our lives. They're also rebuking or they are criticizing of our behavior. They are allowed to be criticizing of our behavior because they are the measurement for our behavior. They're the measurement for how we love and how we live and how we join with people in community. 
Paul also says they are good for correction. So we see the measurement and how we can correct now, how we can change our approach. That word in Greek means improvement. How can we improve our behavior? How can we improve who we are? Not improve our lives, not live better lives because of it, but how can we improve our character and who we are? And the last thing is that it provides training in righteousness or even discipling in righteousness where we can become believers of God and practice this righteousness that God has bestowed on us. And Paul says all of the scriptures will do these things. They're useful in these ways. And for this reason, that God's servants may be completely complete is what the word there in Greek means. Completely complete for every good work. And so we read the scriptures not because we have to fulfill some sort of guideline, not because we have to fulfill some sort of obligation, but because we can become complete people because of that. We see who God is, we measure up to that, and then we are a reflection of that measurement. We become complete in that work. And so we can put together about four different hearing practices, practices that we can do in our lives to help us to hear the scriptures better, to hear God's word better as we interact with um, the scripture. And so the first one is through Bible study. And now the word study sometimes gets people off on the wrong track because I don't have time to study. I don't have time to do homework. I, uh, am, I barely see my spouse as it is. So how am I supposed to do Bible study when I can't even keep my own life together? Well, Bible study only means that we are taking the word, we're reading scripture, and then we're applying it to our lives. So anytime that we have scripture, we're asking the question, how does this apply to my life? And now this is a function of ourselves. We're going to talk about a function of God in just a second and how the scriptures reflect him. But in a Bible study, what we're doing is we're just asking the question of how can I now take this and live in a different way? How can I take this and try it in a different way? Bible studies also are meant to be done with others. So it's, it's hard for us to do Bible studies on our own. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But Bible studies happen, you can do them one-on-one with another person. You can have just one person that you're going and studying the Bible with and reading through things and then asking each other questions about that. So what does this mean to you? How does this mean we can live our lives now? How does this change the way you see God? What is God doing in your life through this? We can study the Bible with one person or we can do it in small groups. We can do Bible studies in small groups where as a group, as a covenant partnership, we will work together with other people and say in a group the same things. How is this speaking to you? How are you using this to change your life? How are you doing this to change your view of who God is? So Bible study really opens us up to um, being able to take the scriptures and applying those to our lives. Preaching does the same thing. So as we're listening to preaching, preaching should be a way that we can take the scriptures and apply them. This is not philosophy. This is not my opinion. This is, not, uh, this is what I believe. This is, this is me taking the scriptures and saying, how can we do what we see here in a way that makes our community better? How do we know God better through that? And so this is what Bible study tries to open up to us, is this opportunity to be intentional about reading the Bible and applying it to our lives. 
Um, now, sometimes we don't have time to study the Bible, um, and so there are different ways to do that. There are really good ways to do that where we can, if we have an accountability partner, if we're just doing a one-on-one, if you go to someone and say, I'm having a hard time reading the Bible, I'm having a hard time understanding the Bible, you can go to another person that you trust in Christ, a brother or sister, and say, will you be my reading partner? Will you help me study the Bible? And we can come together and have a conversation about that. Um, Another way to do Bible study is to do it with your family. Uh, Family Bible study is a really good opportunity. If you have someone in your family who doesn't like reading the Bible or feels like they don't have the time to do that, encourage that participation as a family. Do that together, and that will encourage you just to say, you know what, this is not another thing that we want to add to our day, but this is a way for us to come together and experience God together, be inspired by the word that God has shown and his revelation. We want to know who he is a lot better than this. Um, And so those are just some of the things that we can do in Bible studies. Um, Sometimes it helps to read through books that will help guide us through Bible studies. Um, There are Bibles, uh, there's there's an inductive Bible study method where there's actual questions where you go down through, you read the thing, and then there are questions that you answer, and the questions are the same every single time you read that passage, or any passage really. And so Bible study is one way that we can interact with that and create space for the scriptures. And the second way is the kind of reverse of that. And devotional, um, devotionals, when people hear that, they kind of think like teenage, angsty, journaly type of things. Um, they don't have to be. They really don't have to be. A devotional is just your personal, private time with God. Reading his scriptures, putting it into your heart, and determining how to live through that. And actually, devotionals are super, super short. If you're finding that uh, a devotional is really long or it's really hard to get through during the day, you're reading the wrong devotional. You should do something very short, read the verses, and then something that sort of reflects that verse to you, and then that's something that you can think about through the day. Um, Too busy to read, have a long commute. There's a podcast or even an app called the Daily Audio Bible, which has been going on for at least a decade. Um, This guy will read sections of the Bible to you, and then he will actually just give a small devotional at the end of that. Super, super helpful stuff um, that will allow you to get the Bible in every day. He focuses on one little section of that and then talks about what that means and sort of reflects that back. Um, and it's not very long at all. So if you're finding that there are, are times where you're sort of your personal life and you're having trouble finding that time to reflect on your own and not really talking about it in community, um, devotions will be a, a better way to do that and make that happen. Um, and so um, also get yourself a good study Bible if you are doing devotions or you're having just trouble reading the Bible on your own or interpreting what this might mean. Um, I recommend the Zondervan um, NIV Study Bible. I think it's, uh, I think it's a tremendous resource. Um, it's really, really good. If you see it, it's, it's kind of got like green lines on it. It's a white Bible, but then there's a little sort of rainbow sticker on it because it, it has different uh, categories um, for understanding the scripture and what it does. Um, but that's a super good resource, especially if you're uh, not in one that's really into devotionals, but you want to sort of do some study on your own. That would be a good place to start. Um, and the people always ask me, what's the best uh, translation of the Bible? 
It's the one you're going to read. Plain and simple. If you're not going to read it, don't bother. Get the one you're going to read. Uh, there's so many quality ones out there that um, it would be a shame to skip over something. And find a couple because you can spend a few months reading one version and then switch to a new version and you can understand things in a different way or see things that you never saw before. Um, yeah. So um, thirdly, meditation. Um, this is not sitting in your bedroom with the shades drawn, you know, in the lotus position, you know, humming to yourself. It's not that type of meditation. Meditation is just simply reflection on the scripture. And so in my meditation practice, what I do is I will take a piece of scripture that's spoken to me and I will just reflect on it through the day. And I'll pray that scripture over and over in my head. And I'll just say, God, what are you revealing to me through this? What are you revealing to me through this? And it's sort of the opposite of the Bible study that we talked about before, where we sort of have our opinion about this is what's happening. And how does this make us feel? Meditation is the opposite. And, and we're opening up the scripture to say, God, what is this that you're showing me? What? Can I learn through this? And so we take that piece of scripture and we think about it all day long. We pray over it. We make sure that it's in our hearts and that we can continue on with it. And so finally, uh, memorization is really going to help us as well. And this is, uh, you don't have to take long passages, but you should know some Bible verses by heart. You really should. Um, we're going to move from John 3.16 and we're going to start adding some more into your vocabulary uh, because it's time that you knew some more. You, n- you need to know memorization is going to help you interact with that because it's going to recall in your brain all the time where you're going to be able to bring that up and say, oh yeah, the Bible says this. And sometimes I won't know where it actually comes from. Um, this, is a, this is a great pastor trick where you can just say like Paul says or David wrote or Jesus said. We don't actually know where it came from, um, like what Bible verse and chapter specifically. We just know that they said it somewhere. Um, and so you don't have to know those chapter and verses by heart, but do know the things that they said. Do know the things that they were talking about in Romans. And, oh, I can find that in Romans. I think, I think Paul was talking about that in, in Romans and the context of that as well. So those are four practices that we can use to open up um, a, a better space, an intentional space in our lives to hear God's word. And again, it's not just all about reading it's about hearing God. Our purpose for understanding the scriptures, our purpose of going into the scriptures is not to just give us more work and to read more often and to know the Bible forward and backwards. The point is to know God. We want to hear from God and we want to meditate on his words because they are words from God. If he told them to us, they must be important.